0: Okay, so so with me, I've got Anthony Kirby. Anthony uh, has worked with a number of designers and retailers, including Peter Elliott, Ralph Lauren, Brooks Brothers, and Crockett and & Jones. However, these days, he's been really focused on ties and spot pocket squares, uh, and he has a, his own shop called Finicky. Okay, yeah,
1: okay, thank you. Yeah, so, yes, um, Anthony T. here, and I've just been in this industry probably a good 30-plus years. Um, so, my current uh, brand is called Finicky. That's F I N I C K E Y. So, I let people know that it's actually not the word finicky, but the definition really sets the, the tone for the brand because I always say it's the man who's particular about his lifestyle or wardrobe. And as we know, finicky, a finicky person is very particular. So, I use it in the contents of uh, a man's lifestyle. So this is, I've had, I've established this company back in 2008. It started, it's basically an online e-commerce brand, but over the years I've done pop-ups, I've done some wholesale with small independent retailers. Um, I'm at the point now, just looking at opportunities of pivoting in different other categories for the brand. We've done uh, shirtings, we've done trousers, Uh, I'm looking to do a little home decor like pillows and maybe some other areas of of, uh, clothing, not suitings, but a small little capsule collection. So this is what I'm looking at going towards, hopefully for the fall. Uh, It's been, as we all have been questioned in this whole pandemic year, uh, myself included, uh, my business has taken a major, major impact of loss of sales only because most men, have been working from home. So a lot of them have not really been dressing up. But as we are slowly coming out of this pandemic, I'm starting to see the need, the want of men wanting to dress. I think that's gonna put us, those of us who are in this sort of business of dressing men back on the scope of, of providing some great attire and furnishings. So I'm looking forward to this coming fall as we will know that more and more people will be returning back to the workplace. So Finicky will be there to help in that uh, stance of helping men dress
0: better. You're branching out from ties and pocket squares into more general menswear items. Is that where you want your uh, brand to be? Or would you still like a focus and specialty in ties and pocket squares. You
1: know, my first company was Anthony T. New York. I always have started with neckwear. That was always neckwear, pocket squares, and bow ties. Always been the foundation of what I've always done. That will still be what the the foundation of our business, neckwear, pocket squares, and bow ties. And even though you may not see as many people wearing, oh, you know, people always will say, well, neckwear, nobody's wearing ties anymore. Yes, they are. People are still wearing ties. People still wearing pocket squares, people still wearing bow ties, people still getting dressed up. You may not be the one dressing up, but there are other people out there who are looking towards dressing. So, yes, to your question about will finicky even want to be still known as a haberdashery brand that their foundation is into neckwear, pocket squares, and bow ties? Yes. Well, that's what we're going to be known as. But like I said, we want to branch out to other categories small little things that might be part of the brand but we want to stay we're still focused on the neckwear bow ties and pocket squares
0: got it let's focus maybe a a bit on that um, because i'm kind of curious what makes finicky ties and pocket squares different from everyone else's
1: what makes our collection a little different um is the fact that we use unique kind of silks And when I say unique silks, we probably like to use particular designs like from Grenadine. Grenadine being one of the more exclusive fabrics and and silks. It's it's sort of like a gauzy sort of knit kind of fabric. You can only obtain it from only two existing mills out of Italy that still make this sort of quality. We like to use great printed silks from England. And then we have a lot of our own in-house fabrics that date back to the early 1900s. And then it's just our shape. We have one, we have a signature shape called the swing tie, which is a throwback to the jazz era of the late 50s, where um, the shape of the tie is a little more flared out, a little more of a hand stitched at the bottom. I and mean, when you have to see it, I mean, we have it on our site, uh, finicky.us, where you can see a collection of swing ties. So that's basically what makes our collection just a little bit different. And also, it's classic with a twist. So we like to have a little play on classics through whether it's the color, whether it's the pattern or the, or the design of, or, or, the, or the shape of the tie. So that's that's what makes our collection a little different. And we're not, we don't do a big collection. I think that's also what we do. There was a time when you would look at a network collection, you would have like maybe 80 or 70 different swatches. And within that, you may have four to five different colorways. So Think about it. So you might have over a couple hundred unique designs, but we've, you know, for us, for us, it's really doing a nice sort of a small collection of unique kind of fabrics, unique kind of uh, shapes of, 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 of the pattern, and it keeps us really focused and really tight. So those customers who come to us will get something that's really unique to them. May not get to see it because we don't produce large quantities. I mean, as much as we might, we might make as many as less than a half a dozen of a design. So when it's sold, that's it. That's it. It's done. Wow.
0: Well, I would love to see them in person. Maybe at some, <laughs> at some point uh, when this pandemic uh, cools down, you know, I'll, I'll be able to oh, see yeah. them. Yeah. They do look yeah, really yeah. nice. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm imagining that there's an entire process that goes on in actually designing and, and creating ties. Uh, do, do you wanna mm-hmm. talk a bit about that? Just just to give us an idea of, of the work and effort uh, that goes behind these ties. So
1: the funny thing about neckwear, so think about it, think about neckwear in a sense. Neckwear don't really serve a purpose in your everyday attire, it really, and a scope of things. So think about it, a shirt covers your body, a trouser covers your legs. You know, a belt holds your pants up. So think about all those airs I just mentioned. What does a tie do? It's
0: just a accessory for, for aesthetic purposes. Is that... Exactly. It
1: don't, My point is it don't have any sort of form or function. It, like a pair of shoes. You don't walk outside and say, I'm going to go to work without my shoes. But to your point, it's an accessory. I call it like this, like, sort of like the cherry on top of a man's attire, it pulls everything in together, but yes there is a process that goes into making a very good looking tie, it's just a couple steps but the steps that go into making the tie are what makes a tie great, and that's why handmade ties I still feel are some of the best made ties it's the lining if you're using like we use, on in in my neckwear I use a uh, sort of a cotton wool lining that gives the tie drape. Gives a tie a little more stability. So remember, when you're tying that knot, your, your tie is going through multiple folds to get that perfect or shapely knot. You have to have, that tie has to have some substance to it so that tie will hold. Tie shouldn't twist. It is well made. It will keep its shape. And again, that goes into all the steps I uh, mentioned. In the lining, how it's sewn, how it's all put together. So that's the kind of the steps that makes a great tie.
0: Yeah. And that's the kind
1: of steps we need to make finicky ties.
0: Okay. So you, so you mentioned a couple things, you mentioned folds and, and five-fold, seven-fold, Can, do you want to give a quick explanation as to uh, what that is?
1: Most generally, most ties are a standard four-fold or five-fold. Basically you're just taking a once the tie ties constructed after you put all the pieces, saw all the pieces together. At the end, actually create the shape of the tie. Uh, sides are brought in and folded and then stitched. But there was, at some point, uh, makers were starting to get into a little more what they call multiple folds, where you're actually literally taking one piece of fabric and really creating the whole tie itself. You're not using any lining. You're folding the tie in itself. One, two, three, four, five folds you take another piece fold again that's six then you have your last piece that really kind of formulates the whole tie and the back seven folds and that became sort of like the uh sort of the way of making a really high end more elegant tie of taking it itself uh making it in seven folds i think the originator i remember robert talbot at one point was probably the, the pinnacle of actually having these what was called the seven fold ties they were I had, kind of had that for years before a lot of the makers in Italy, like your Keitans or Isaiah, and a lot of other places and here in the United States, other uh, makers jumped on board of having a seven fold tie. So that was always doing makers. But then you had some makers who wanted to do what's called eleven fold. So after a while this became like all these ties with so many folds, and the more folds, the more money the tie costs. Because <laughs> you have to use more because you have to use so much silk. And at some point, you know, I've been on seven fold ties, but then I got to the point like, look, that became more of a, a talking point. Most men will not sit there and say, hey, Phil, look at my tie. I want to show you all my folds. You right. mostly looked at a tie and say, that's a great looking tie because it kind of worked with your attire. It worked with your look. You knew what a kind of folder was because that was something for you. That was something personalized to you. To an average person, they will make a difference. They're looking at a tie. So not saying it's, it's, you know, some people still love a seven fold. It's still a great looking tie. Um, we do what I call self-folded or you want to call five-fold. So it's, it's just, it's just a, another way I like to make our ties, um, especially when we're doing certain silks, it looks great. But that's usually, that's usually the, the way a, a tie, when you start talking about the folds. Um, I don't hear it as much today as I used to. We used to hear it like a couple of years ago. Um, but it's still there. Certain makers still make, you know, multi multifolds. It's still there. Still relevant.
0: Got it. Another thing you touched on was the number of fabrics. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, you have a lot of
1: the different types of, um, fabrics. Like you just mentioned, um, chally. So chalet is a, basically, is a, it's a, um, a lightweight fabric that's made out of wool. A lot of times I see chalet, they always have like little animal prints, like deers or birds. So chalet is just basically the fabric. It's a, it's a fine, well-spun kind of wool fabric. What was the other one? Grenadine is a gauze-like kind of fabric. It's all made on a on, loom. On so you have one that's called like Garza, the Cena Garza, and... What's the
0: grosser.
1: other one? Grossa. Grossa, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I like the grossa. Garza Fina is like a little more finer kind of grenadine. I like the gross because that's a little more of an open weave, a little bigger. So I like the grosser type of fabric um, and grenadine. And Spittlefield and Macclesfield, a Macclesfield is usually like a small, all over repetitive pattern. Like a really, like a real elegant neat. And it's also part of a district in England called Macclesfield ancient matter is is an old world way of actually printing so Where way actually for so if you did a Paisley in, in ancient matter each one of those colors is a different paint so let's for instance if you had six colors a green a red maybe a little orange maybe a little gold and still in like a medium blue I'm, so that's, that's five colors in that, in that ancient matter silk. That's five different screens, five different screens you would have to produce, five different color screens to create that ancient matter. And that's one of the most expensive ways of creating a silk pattern. Because each one of those screens will cost you maybe a couple of hundred.
0: What I think is fascinating is the amount of variety involved in ties. Between the type of fabrics, and the colors, and the feel, and the size. There are so many options when dressing up. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating. Because you can feel like an artist in picking just the right tie for just the right outfit. And you can get combinations that you would have never dreamed of. And they look fabulous and they look like something really unique. And you feel like you've solved the most difficult question in the universe. I think that's what's fascinating about clothes. You can use your creativity to be a problem solver, an artist, and feel great about yourself and what you're doing.
1: You know, Neckwear, this is going back like maybe in the 90s when I first started my first collection under the Anthony T. New York brand. And I always found that ties are personal when you put that tie on it's something about how it makes you feel when i put that tie on that last step and when i'm dressing putting that tie on and putting it all together it makes me feel awesome you know what led me into men's neckwear and i think where i found that niche for myself was when i was living in atlanta georgia I was working for a small independent menswear store called H. Stockton. And I was working for their shop on Peachtree Street. And this is like around 91, 92. And back in those, those, back in those days, you know, you would have someone like a rep would come to the store, bring their collection to show the owner of the store like what's coming next season. So they would make their purchases prior. And one of the reps would come and bring this whole collection of neckwear from a line, and I've always fell in love. I said, wow, what got me hooked was looking at all those swatches of patterns we just talked about, paisley, stripes, solids, grenadine. I mean, just a rainbow of all colors and patterns. I had said at that time to the owner, this is something I would like to do. I want to become a road rep. I want to get online. I want to get on the road, carry a small collection of things, and sell the stores. And the joke was at the time, the owner of the store at that time, Ham, said to me, I'll give you $50 in a suitcase. Well, had the suitcase, but never got that $50. Still waiting for that. That's what got me on to the fact I want to do that. So at that point, I relocated back to New York City and started my first collection with only ULAC, maybe like eight or nine designs, maybe four to five colorways, maybe like four colorways. So I had a small collection that really got me started in the business of selling neckwear. And at those times, we have so many great independent menswear stores. We don't have that today. But back then, had so many stores that you can go to and just knock on the door. You know, you had a lot of news before you got a yes. But that's what got me started into the business and I have built on from there. Wow. You know? Yeah. And I think even going back, or even a little further, let's go back to the 80s. My first real good exemption with neckwear was when I worked for Ralph Lauren. I started at the at the mansion on 72nd and Madison. But um, prior to our mansion opening, um, they would take us to different areas that had, you know, like where our clothing was made or where our neckwear. And at that time, before the ties, uh, most neckwear for Ralph Lauren is all made in Italy now. But there was a time all that neckwear was made right down on 28th Street, right off of Broadway. There was a factory between uh, Broadway and 6th Avenue called Fogel Neckwear that used to make all of Ralph Lauren's ties. And I remember we took a trip down there to see all the ties being made. And you think about back then how many stores they had and the the, the end shop they had in department stores. There was so much fabric for Ralph Lauren down there. It was like, wow. Oh, when you used when we used to go to at that time, the showroom used to be on Forty West Fifty Fifth Street between Fifth and Sixth Avenue, like in a little townhouse building. And that's where we used to have the that's where they would showcase the new collections on these like five or six floors of this townhouse. And I remember going in there, and I remember when you walked into one of the furnishings room. I mean, the amount of neckwear they used to sample. So, like you said, like a kid and a candy store. Everything, <laughs> flares, meats, prints, Mogadors, jacquard's, everything, Shallie's. I mean, it was a. And then you have pocket squares. You have bow ties. You have scarves. I mean, yes, that was like my my end to say. I you know. So when about time I got down to Atlanta in 91, 92, that was all I needed, you know, from that experience and what I had at that point, which led me to think I want to design neckwear. But I can definitely say that I was inspired by the fact of my years working with Ralph Lauren and being inspired by what I used to see in the neckwear and um, working with some of the same mills that Ralph Lauren worked with to build my neckwear collection. So that was always a treat to go in and see The mills and work with them and come up with designs. So, I, you know, it it was always that passion. I think, and and you know, that's always fueled me was the passion of enjoying what I've done in this industry. You know, and I just be, you know, for me, it was all, you know, yes, make a living. Yeah, I made a small, but I'm not, you know, I, I think I'm not like I'm not living in no mansion. I don't have no no two mile driveway and no. But I love what I do. I like the fact when people, look, I celebrate. If I get one sale off my neckwear, I celebrate just as much as somebody buys a dozen ties. Or a store calls me and says, I want you to to put together a collection for our store, for our client. I celebrate all of it because it lets me know what I'm doing is still relevant. It's still important. There's still a passion, still a taste level out there where people want something a little different and something unique, and something well-made.
0: You can't imagine how much work goes uh, into some of these clothes. They they seem so simple, like ties or even pocket squares, but really, like the amount of effort in creating the design, getting the pattern, getting the the factory Mm -hmm. on board, or finding the factory if you haven't found all that, and then getting the production, it it does really, it's a mind bug. I I couldn't believe how, how much effort and time and just... Just work.
1: You hit it on the nail. You hit it right, hit on the nail. It does take a lot. It takes a lot of effort in terms of putting together a collection. You sit there and you think, oh, when you go to a store, you sit ahead and result. You see some beautiful ties. And then if you have time, you bark at the price $165 for this tie when I get a tie for 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Someone had to sit back and come up with the concept, an idea what was that tie going to look like? Then you had to have someone, you know. If I showed you my color cards, I mean, you look at a hundred something colors. There's a there's like maybe 15 different variations of blues. There are maybe 15 or 16 variations of green. There are maybe 20 variations of a red, and you got burgundy, and you got brown, and you got yellows, all of that. And think about a paisley tie. Think of when you look at a paisley. Think of how many colors. There's probably like a 12 or 13 or 14, 15 colors in a paisley tie, And someone has to sit there and come up with each color and make sure it kind of works all together. And then you talk about the scale of the paisley. Is it a small, you know, tear-dried type of paisley? Is it a blown-out paisley that's all over? So you think about scales of of the patterns. Then you think about how the color's going to work. You think about what kind of silk. Is it going to be a Jacquard? Is it going to be a print? Is it going to be a Mogador? It's going to be a print? You know, all of that. And all that comes with what the cost, the final cost, what, you know, each fabric costs a different price, how many units you're going to produce. So, yes, you don't, there is a lot that goes into making a great looking tie. And especially if you're, you know, you, like I said, if you're doing something really special, you're like on a Higher end side, it's it, you know you're trying to do what you're looking for something that really speaks to your brand speaks to your you know your collection. So yes, there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's not just simply looking for us. It's not just looking at what we would call strike off or sample patterns and say yeah, just picking one two three. No, it takes some time. It takes a lot. It takes a lot
0: i never i never thought about it. i just assume like oh that's like a standard combination and and you can uh, i'll just take take that like no i guess you really do have to, you have to oh. pick out all those colors and gotta try to tell oh. them exactly which ones i want and where wow damn and because those Paisley's can oh. be kind of a there's a lot of colors in just one paisley <laughs> you've mentioned like the the vintage fabric and i guess you know the, the, the authenticity what's your take on, on vintage why why do you like it what's um i guess what's What attracts you to that?
1: I think vintage is just a throwback. I think vintage gives something, brings something back from a past, and that you can bring back to the day. Because you know, if I'm looking at things, perfect example, I can use ties again. So I collect. I have in my collection old Ralph Lauren ties from the 1960s. You look past. You look to the past to for us for like in design to stimulate our future to create a passion of what was actually uh, something out uh, yesterday year, we can bring back and transpose it to something unique today. So some things, like I said, I can look at ties. I can go in like thrift stores or online and find old ties from the 60 that are wide, like four and a half inches wide. But I love something about those old patterns that you don't see anymore. So vintage has a purpose. It's able to grab something from the past. Something that was special back then and bringing up to the day. That's what makes vintage special.
0: I think vintage to me has sort of meant making the most of something that other people have discarded to make full use of something that somebody else a long time ago spent a lot of time to create. And I think that's worth knowing and worth keeping it feels special because the contemporary stuff is all around us and to be able to use that creativity and those problem solving skills to bring something that's different and make it still relevant it is a good feeling Um, you know to bring something that most people find Outdated or or dead, even, and to give it new life. After all, there's nothing that's preventing vintage from being contemporary other than your state of mind.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think, think, well, part of that, also part of that equation, if you look at it today, it's also that whole big word we hear more and more often today, sustainability. because you look back a lot of those things because, you know, we have so much clothing that we discard and it fills up so many landfills. That's why thrift shops, vintage is becoming more and more popular today because clothing being recycled. You can go into a great thrift shop and find great clothing or ties or, or shoes, things that were discarded but can have another life because it's still in good condition opposed to just throwing it out. You know, that's what I get back to when I talk about making ties. I don't make ties like you know, ten years or twenty, like fifteen, twenty years ago. Making ties was like you're you, you know, you're buying rolls of fabric, twelve yards, twenty, I'm sorry, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty yards of fabric. You know, you're making like thirteen or fourteen dozen ties. No one does that anymore. You're keeping it very close to the kilt where it's not. Well, you're not creating that many ties anymore. You're trying to keep it small because you'll sit. Because I remember those days, I remember when I first got in the business. Yeah, I would order like 12 yards per color. But then I'm making maybe out of that 12 yards, maybe six ties. But I'm doing all this, then I have all this extra fabric just sitting. I don't produce a lot. That's one thing I will always say to your listeners we don't produce a lot of ties because we don't want to sit on a lot of ties. And when you come to us, you're going to get something that's, you know, So it's a limited edition run of patterns. Uh, It's something that once, like I said, once it's gone. Now we've gotten calls. People say, "Oh, we saw um, the Churchwell series. Are you going to redo? You know, some things we may bring back because the demand is there, or we may bring it back revised with different colorways. But we do get times people calling. Are you ever going to bring back such and such? Are you going to bring back that collection? We'll see." So, but like I always say, if you see it on the site or we're or posting it through social media, you might see something, you like it, grab it right then and there because nine times a 10, it's not going to be a lot of pieces made.
0: It wouldn't be a show on ties if we didn't talk about how to tie them. What's your preference?
1: Yeah, um... Yeah, you know, you, I mean, the classic two ways most people learn, as I've learned, is the, you know doing the half Windsor knot, you know, and again, it's all imagery. If I can show that right. half, it's like going around half once, you know, going around one like a half time or once. Wherever you do like a full Windsor, you're going around and wrapping around twice and bringing it around and bringing it up, bringing it through. Full Windsor. Most people are familiar with the four-in-hand, which is the classic way. The most time you go around once, over, under, and through then you have your beautiful tie. That's usually the most best way I always find people. I mean, but there are other ways to tie uh, your tie. There are so many different, I mean, there's multiple ways. But to keep it simple, I said it's a classic, four, you know, forehand. Now, if you want to be fancy, you want to take it around twice, take it around your neck, go around. I mean, you can do that. I'm at an age where, you know, less is more. You know, I have to do all the other fancy stuff. I mean, that's, again, it becomes more to you. You know, if you can, you know, at the end of the day, if your tie is tied the way you like it, when you put it on that on that shirt, you look in that mirror and it's well tied. You're good. However, you however you get to that endpoint. That's the way I look at that.
0: So you mentioned branching out from ties and and pocket squares. How? Did you go about that process? Was it a financial um, thinking of expanding the business, or uh, was it something uh, more artistic, more more creative? Well,
1: yeah. Well, first, not analytical. So I ain't thinking (laughs) about that part. (laughs) I'm not the the analytical type. So, so it's more creative, definitely. It's definitely all creative. It's always looking at something. What can I do with this? What can I come up with? Uh, What can we add? to the collection that would make it right or or what can we experiment with that can add a little cachet to what we're offering. So of course, the next regression with neckwear, you of course, want to do shirts. Okay, yeah, sure. And if you want to, try, we experiment with trousers. We, know, we like wear trousers, so we'll do a little experiment with trousers. Um, but then, I, like I said, home decor was another area that I'm experimenting with. I want to do pillows because as people are transitioning out of this whole pandemic, people are getting their homes ready. People want to start visiting. You're going to start visiting your friends, your family. And because we've been in this pandemic this past year and a half, you know, people are all at home. And they got tired of what they've been looking at for years. So a lot of people are in this sort of home decor of a renovation of their home, changing out. They want to get back. They want to get past that old pandemic look they had to look with for over a year or so. So now they're looking at new furniture, new rugs, new accessories. So what can we do to add that? Use some beautiful, some of our stripes, and create these sort of throw pillows that you can add to your living room or a chair or something else. So the creativity part is what I've been thinking more of. What can be added? What can I do with some of this extra silk that I may be having a collection that I may decide I'm not going to make any more ties with this? But I can make a beautiful pillow. I've done slippers, like lounge slippers, um, like those velvet slippers you would see for formal or casual wear. I've done it with silk. Years ago, I used to do a lot of these silk slippers that I made out of my silk. The same thing as people getting married now. Let's say it's just you and your groomsmen, or you a and and another, uh, your best man, and maybe a you and it's three or four. You're likely to find four at the same time is great, or even if it's just as a groom, you're wearing one particular tie and your groomsmen are wearing something, you might find a couple. But if it's something special that you want to stand out because you want to compliment your bride to be on that day of a tie, you may not find it in the store. You come to a place like Seneca, where we can provide made-to-order special order ties for that special occasion. We had a program, we did a project for Vanderbilt alumni. We did a whole program of uh, club ties, ties that have the little shields or swords or dogs so we did a whole collection of uh, ties for their alumni association and bow ties and scars for the ladies and that was a big project um a couple hundred units that they want to do so yeah we can do special projects like that
0: oh wow i had no idea you all did that Uh, if i knew i i would have brought that up earlier the beginning, maybe at the introduction. Either way, I'm really glad you shared that tidbit.
1: We want to have clients have an experience. We want to take out the whole idea, I'm just buying a tie. And again, as I started out in the beginning of this conversation, part of it is just a passion. I enjoy this. Like I said, I celebrate each win from one tie to a dozen ties. I celebrate it all because it lets me, again, lets me know that Somebody appreciates what we create. Somebody likes what we're doing. So that's what keeps me going.
0: Wow. Well, that's what I call ending the episode on a happy note. So maybe we'll stop there. Thank you so much, Anthony. Any final words?
1: First, I want to say thank you, Philip. I appreciate this opportunity for allowing me to share what I've been doing for so many years. And I hope that your listeners were able to get something out of it. If they want to follow our site is Finicky. That's F-I-N-I-C-K-E-Y. dot U S. On social media, where you can find us on on the gram at Finicky. On Facebook, it's uh, Mr. Haberdash.
0: Awesome. I'll add those names in the episode description for our listeners. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much, Anthony.
1: Thank you. I
0: appreciate it.